0: Think on your feet for our fast and curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. I'm Sasha Ann Simons, and this is Reset, your guide to Chicago area news. Today, we're discussing the mass shooting in Highland Park on July 4th. Seven people dead dozens wounded, and after an eight-hour manhunt, a person of interest is in custody. That suspect, Robert Cremo III, was considered armed and dangerous, but police officers apprehended him peacefully. Hearing that news, it's hard not to think about the hundreds of unarmed Black men and women who have been shot and killed by police. Just a week ago, police in Akron, Ohio, shot Jalen Walker, a 25-year-old Black man, 60 times. Walker was running away, and he was unarmed. Was the Highland Park suspect perceived as less dangerous because he was white? Here's a listener named David in Waukegan. As a Black man, the most remarkable thing to me is that he is still breathing. He was taken alive. And yet, we have a Black man in Ohio who uh, got 60 bullets pumped into him. He is dead. Rayshawn Ray is a senior fellow at the Brookings Institution and a professor of sociology at the University of Maryland. He breaks it down for us. When it comes to the police apprehending a suspect, how is it supposed to work?
1: Well, I think it depends on the dynamics. But typically what police officers are aiming to do is to use the least amount of force while also getting the person to comply. And I think what a lot of people don't realize is that when police officers give a command and a person does not oblige that command when they don't do what the officers are saying Police officers are oftentimes trained to use more force, to escalate instead of de-escalate. And interestingly, in a lot of incidents, seen that we see that playing out, mm-hmm. but in others, we don't. And research documents that oftentimes those differences fall along racial lines, not necessarily in always seeing more force. And Jalen Walker, I think it's it's hard to argue that we did not see overkill, to say that lightly, 90 bullet shot at him, 60 bullets hitting him in his head, his stomach, his legs. But oftentimes we see a form of white deference where when police encounter white people, they are less likely to do some of the things that they are trained to do, whether we're talking about Highland or we could also go to Kentucky, which is a situation that a lot of people are not talking about where Lance Stores was being served a search warrant and he killed three police officers. And guess what? He was apprehended safely. And he happened to be white.
0: Wow. What changes then when police think a suspect has a gun? I mean, in this case, we hear he had two, right? Not just the the high-powered rifle that was used to kill six people at this parade, but there was also another rifle on standby in that Honda Fit that
1: he was driving. That's exactly right. I mean, it was very clear that this person was armed and dangerous. Dangerous, of course, being a big one, that police officers can perceive a threat and they are protected oftentimes under law with this perception of threat that gives them the ability to use an undue amount of force. Oftentimes what happens though is that police officers are using their own perceptions, oftentimes their own experience and stereotypes by which to make decisions. And the big elephant in the room is the fact that blackness becomes weaponized. So even when a black person does not have a weapon, even when it's known that they don't, oftentimes their blackness gives the impression that they are dangerous. So it comes along with the armed and dangerous perception. Mm -hmm. Conversely, oftentimes when law enforcement interacts with a white person, Not only do they perceive them to be less threatening, but they also perceive them oftentimes in their minds that this could be someone who they might interact with on a normal basis, a family member, a friend. And that little split second oftentimes makes the difference between whether Uh, or not they pull uh, whether or not they pull their weapon and shoot it or not.
0: And it leads them to say things like I I was listening to the uh, video footage that uh, was shared yesterday when when the suspect was apprehended and you can hear the officers say, put your hands up all the way up. Now, do me a favor, turn around. And a lot of folks on social media are saying, do me a favor. How dare you with this right. highly dangerous suspect? Do me a favor?
1: Yeah, I mean, that's an example of the difference. How nice. That some people get that others don't. Police
0: training is different from state to state, Rayshawni, and even from town to town, right? What are some things that differ between those trainings?
1: Well, oftentimes what differs in the trainings, it's not necessarily the categories of training. So whether it be de-escalation training, uh, firearms training, training to drive a vehicle, which officers spend a lot of time doing. And then, of course, implicit bias trainings, which which have came up. But then there are other sorts of training, mental health training. I mean, uh, police officers actually go through a lot of training. The problem, however, is the qualitative difference in the training. Now, when we look in a cross-comparative Uh, lights, meaning comparing the United States to other countries around the world, the United States gets subpar training. Oftentimes, when we talk about the length of training in other countries, police officers, law enforcement are getting training for a much longer period of time in the US context. They're getting these categories of training, but they vary. Let's take, for example, use of force training, a de-escalation training, which is a big one that people want to talk about. Mm -hmm. There are some departments that do Uh, de-escalation training for 48 hours, meaning four to eight hours. There are others that might do say a week or two, uh, course. But the big thing that I found, and, and and I do a lot of these trainings at the University of Maryland, where I direct the lab for applied social science research, we have a virtual reality training program. So I know this space very well. This is the space I'm in. This is what I do. That what we oftentimes see is that police officers If particularly if you're in a large department, some officers are getting a certain type of training and others are not Mm. frequently due to a lack of funding, smaller departments are even less likely to get this type of training. They just simply don't have the resources. So there's a huge variation in what happens. But what we do know is that de-escalation training significantly reduces the likelihood that police officers pull their weapon and shoot it. And partly that's because they are taught to communicate better, which is one of the big things that our training program does.
0: You alluded to this earlier, Rayshon, you you know, that Highland Park suspect, he grew up in Highland Park, right? Do you think that it helps if police know you or
1: at least know of you? Yeah, most definitely. But it oftentimes depends on what they know you for. (laughs) So so if you're perceived to come from the right side of the tracks, which is oftentimes not only about social class, but it's also about race, then you're going to be given the benefit of the doubt. People frequently will say, oh, I know their parents or I know them. They're good people, that sort of thing. And so it leads to a level of deference where you're going to have a conversation with them like, hey, I know I know this kid, you know, this kid's family. And even when a person will make that statement. He's a grown man. But a person might say, I know this boy, I know this kid's family, mm-hmm. because that is the perception they have for them. Conversely, black teenagers are perceived as being older. So they lose that ability to be perceived as being innocent or as mm-hmm. making a mistake. So knowing someone makes a big deal. And here goes the key point. Police officers are significantly less likely to live in predominantly black in Latino neighborhoods that they over-police, and they're more likely to live in the suburbs and predominantly white communities, and that is where that benefit of the doubt really comes into play. You
0: noted also that uh, police respond to suspects just as violently as they did before the Black Lives Matter uprising back in uh, 2020.
1: Why haven't things changed? Things haven't changed because we haven't seen the policy change that would move the needle. We know that on the federal level that the George Floyd Justice and Policing Act failed. Some of my research was being used to help inform that it was a, a travesty and a tragedy to say it to say it lightly. At the state's level, in certain states, we have seen some changes, but they really haven't been the sort of changes that will move the needle. They've been things like uh, community oversight boards, which are important, but haven't been implemented correctly. Of course, uh, in, implicit bias, de-escalation source of trainings. But what should be happening is not only thinking about qualified immunity, but there is also a way to address police accountability more broadly, and that is dealing with civil settlements. We know in the case of of, of Jalen Walker, there is going to be a huge civil settlement that the city of Akron will pay out. Mm-hmm. And even though police officers might not get charged or convicted, which rarely happens anyway, over 90 percent of the time they're never charged or convicted. But uh, in spite of that, there's going to be a large civil settlement that citizens of Akron are going to have to pay for it that will not come out of the police department budget that continues to let them off the hook for these sort of overkill incidents.
0: We're going to have to bring you back to talk more about this. But before you leave, Rayshawn, you've got a new campaign that's encouraging folks to be the change. What does that mean?
1: So, look, we are living in a very what we feel is an uncivil and intolerant time. And part of what we have to do is is realize that we all have a role to play. And what I've done is teamed up with Work Until, which creates amazing products to be able to think about what it means to be the change for all of us to do our part. And it's what I call progressing from being a racial equity learner to being a racial equity advocate and a racial equity broker. We have to learn about the way inequality operates. These are difficult times. It is a simple fact that black people are three point five times more likely than whites to be killed by police when they're not attacking and don't have a weapon. We have to acknowledge that. Then we have to communicate that to others. And then we have to work to change the policies, procedures, rules, and regulations that govern over us so that we can remove these racial disparities and be the change is really aiming to highlight everyone playing a role in that process.
0: I'm going to squeeze in a caller uh, before we go here, Rishon. then I'll get you to respond on the back end. Here's Patty in Northbrook. Hi, Patty. Welcome to Reset. Hi there. Thank you. Um, I'm a little disappointed because I believe that you made a very unfair comparison because when Jalen was uh, pulled over, he pulled over, but then he fled police. And then he shot out of the vehicle. And then when they got up to him again, he fled from the vehicle. When this monster shooter from Highland Park was pulled over, he complied. He complied with the police, and that is why I believe that he wasn't killed. And I think someone should do a study on how many whites and blacks and Hispanics are killed if they comply. Well, I think we might have the the man on the line who has done that research. Uh, Thank you, Patty. Appreciate your call. Rayshawn?
1: Yeah, I I just said the stat. I don't know how else to say it in a a clear way. Black people are 3.5 times more likely than white people to be killed by police when they are not attacking and when they don't have a weapon. Who says that? Police officers, when they are not attacking and when they don't have a weapon part of thinking about this with Jalen Walker. He had a gun. Guns are not illegal in Ohio. Teachers are about to get them. The thing about the gunshot that happened before the chase, similar to what happened in Highland Park. He had on his mask, which was strange, but he led them on a chase. Those are not deadly acts. Those are criminal acts. And the reason why I brought up Kentucky is because I really want people to look up what Lance Storrs did when they served that search warrant where he killed three police officers. Oh, and guess what? He happened to be apprehended safely. Why is that? Well, unfortunately, the research shows that race has a lot to do with it. We simply have to admit these facts. I don't like them, but they are what they are. And the minute we recognize them, the better we can address
0: them. Google that case, folks. Lance Stores, S-T-O-R-Z. Rayshawn Ray is a senior fellow at the Brookings Institution and a professor of sociology at the University of Maryland. You can find him on Twitter at Sociologist Ray. Thank you so much, Rayshawn.
1: Thank you so much, Sasha.
0: That's it for today's Reset. If you like what you're hearing, please leave a review or a rating. We'd love for you to subscribe. We'll continue to cover the mass shooting in Highland Park, racial inequities and other big news, like what the Supreme Court's decision to overturn Roe v. Wade will mean for reproductive health care. Thanks so much for listening. We'll continue to be here for you on Reset. Let's talk soon.
1: Thanks for listening to the news live on WBEZ and NPR.